0: Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsman find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today, Captain Mike Bell and I sit down with Captain Steve Griffin of Griffin's Guide Service up on the Chesapeake Bay. We recently visited Griffin to do some striped bass fishing, and it was an epic day, to say the least. We lost count of 25 to 35-inch fish and landed a true monster at 41 inches. Be on the lookout for the video dropping next week. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast, as well as video content that you can't find on YouTube. Well, guys, hope y'all enjoy the episode. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an eye strike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P-127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Steve, thanks for jumping on the podcast with Michael and I. Uh, excited to do a little trip recap from our time up in Maryland, as well as just let people hear hear about your fishery again. Uh, so how's it going? Thanks, man. It's going good. It's a
1: pleasure to be uh, be talking with you guys, talk about our fun trip we had last week.
0: It is, uh, it's crazy that that was last week. It, it already feels like it was like a month ago. <laughs> Maybe I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was that for us, Michael. I know you can speak on this. it Was like an old school. I mean, we used to do that kind of crap a lot. Like drive yeah. six hours one way to fish. We we spend more time in the car than we do on the boat, but it's all for fishing.
2: Yep. I was say. I mean, we made mountain trips, to go trout fish, smallmouth fish, yeah, bass fish, Raleigh. I mean, all over the place. Yeah. So we've done a lot.
0: We've done a lot. So it adds to the experience. It does, man. It makes it a a fun, full on, just adventure when you when you when you do it especially when michael drives the whole thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the type of stuff you never forget oh for that's the truth, truth. that's for the truth sure.
0: um so tell people a little bit about who you are we've been on the podcast before we i think it was summertime we were talking about big redfish and cobia and stuff like that but um tell people where you are give them your backstory a little bit and then and then we'll, we'll go from there
1: yeah sure um my name is captain steve griffin um, I run Griffin's Guide Service. We're in the middle of Chesapeake Bay, and um, I've run a 28-foot Sea Hunter Floridian, um, which is just a fun boat to to fish light tackle off of. Uh, it's a perfect platform, and we do anything from giant bull reds that we get in the summer um, to speckled trout and uh, shallow water rockfish. We call them, but striped bass or stripers. And, um, we also get a nice run of some huge stripers in the winter that,
0: uh, sounds like we're going to be talking about our trip. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, man. That's, uh, I've ha- I've caught, I've caught a lot of stripers in my life, but I've never caught a monster until I came up there with you and I'm excited to talk about that. But man, that the, I have been so intrigued, I would say the past two or three years, with just the Chesapeake Bay in general and, and its tributaries and its fisheries, it is it to me it is the mecca. I mean, more so than Florida. There's just, I mean, it's different species in Florida, but for, if you want like for big fish, big freaking cobia, big bull reds, you got tarpon, you know, in the lower bay. You've got massive stripers, trout. huge trout. I mean, it is literally. It's it. Uh, we probably should not talk about it as much as we do. But it, it's it is <laughs> yeah. such an incredible fishery, and and it's cool to see. Uh, it, it almost feels like it's just become this incredible fishery, but it's been that for a long time. So, kind of walk me through, um, your your big striper season. So, they they're migratory, right? They they're not there all the time. How what does that season look like for y'all?
1: Correct. But they um, so they go up north and just. They- montauk and all that in the warmer months but um we start seeing some really nice fish in december usually right around december um christmas time is usually a great time to go after the big fish and um they're showing up they're coming down the coast showing up in december and they will hang out in the bay until april and may where they'll do their spawning in all of our tributaries and then they'll make their way back out the bay and head back up to up north. So it's great that we get to to target them and uh, and catch them while while they're in the bay. It's a it's a really special time. Um, it's all catch and release. So
0: uh, you know, cold water, not hurting the fish, and it's a it's a great time. It really is, man. It, it's it is uh, incredible. It's an incredible time. That's the truth. <laughs> What did you think, Mike? Could, oh, sorry, what you saying?
1: I was I was gonna just going to clarify that we have you know we have our stripers year round, but those are the um, the resident fish, which are usually you know thirty thirty two inch fish is usually a really good resident fish. Yeah. So uh, these migratory fish are usually thirty two and up. Okay. Um,
0: and uh, when they when they show up, man, it, it's some fun fishing. Now, do you have? smaller fish migrating as well or are they only yeah. migrating when they hit that like 32 and up? You know, I, I'm not the,
1: uh, not the scientists on this, but I'm pretty sure when they reach about, um, 26 inches, they are mature and they might start migrating. Nice. Um, but a lot of them will hang out, uh, in, in the bay. A lot of them will hang out until they're about 30 inches. Then they start heading.
0: That makes heading sense. Heading up north. What What is the time span? And I know, Michael. I think you had a question too. Because I, we'll slide this can back and forth, Michael. As we, <laughs> uh, if, if you've got a question you want to ask next, so we'll know who's who. <laughs> but but um, my last question on that is: is what is the time frame, or not the time frame, but like how many months do you have those big fish in your system?
1: They are here from December. So we got it December, January, February, March, April. And then they're pretty much early May. We're still catching them. Um, but they are really starting to thin out in May. Yeah. God, so, that's
0: awesome. That's a se- long time.
1: Several yeah. months. Um, at times they, they can be hard to, to target. Um, but typically, you yeah, know, we've got them patterned pretty good. Um, April, the Maryland DNR, that we have a no, uh, no target rule. So we're, we're really not even supposed to go out and, catch release in April because that's when they're doing their business. Um, they really want to leave them alone. For sure. So uh, so that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, we got several months to to play with these big girls when they're here. It's a blast.
2: Now, do you all see these fish, like, going – upriver and you kind of disappear for you know a few days before you get a fresh push or something like that um and then they kind of return or show up as they like travel and leave from the bay area per se and go up into the tributaries or do they stay a good group of fish there kind of all the time where just smaller groups of fish are going to go and spawn and that kind of stuff and head out up the tributaries
1: yeah they definitely come in waves um they come in waves and then in certain parts of the bay, they'll do their spawning earlier and then later. And and a lot of that has to do with water temperature. Gotcha. So so shallower areas further south in the bay, those fish might spawn and, and then head out the bay sooner than the ones, say, going up into the Potomac River, which is a deeper river. Um, and takes a little bit longer for that water to warm up. So they're coming in waves. They're coming in in waves, and they're going out in waves. So it's really they're here all the time, and they're all doing something different. Um, but they certainly right in right around May, they disappear.
2: Gotcha. I was gonna say it's kind of the you know not necessarily the same because we don't have quite the biomass of fish that y'all do there in the Cape Fear, but you can definitely tell you know come March it seems like it's a little bit earlier here for us just because it's a little bit warmer they go ahead and start heading up river and. April, you know, they're spawning and then they're kind of rolling out back down into the lower river by middle of April, May. So,
1: yep, When water temperatures hit 50, 55, they um that kind of triggers their spawn and and
0: once they spawn, man, they're they're gone. Yeah. They're on a mission to get up north. Yeah, they're they're the stripers, the big stripers that come into our rivers and spawn still. There's a handful of them that do. The scientists say that they'll actually, you know, blast up, do their thing, and come back down very quickly. Like, they'll stage in areas all winter and for a long period of time. But, like, that actual push up to spawn and then drop back down, like, they've got a bunch of the, uh, what are those types of tags called? That that hit the little sensor and they can kind of tell when they're moving through.
2: Oh, um, come back to me on that. (laughs) I know the name, too. It's such a simple
0: name. But a, sonic tags? Yes. Okay, a sonic tag. So they can actually track the fish. Like when it swims past a certain yep. place, it'll it'll ding it. So they're they're getting these big fish like hitting that, dinging that thing, swimming up, spawning, and like three days later passing it again. Yep. So doing it really, really quickly. I don't know if it's similar there. And I'm talking about that's when they're way up, way up in the tributaries, like the shallow, rocky, fast water stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's yep. pretty crazy that they're doing that.
2: I mean, it's, a, I don't know how far up river they go for y'all or up the tributaries, but I mean, here they're making it 70, 80 miles up from the coast, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's, Super it's way up there.
1: Easy. Yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing how far they travel. These fish are just incredible. And what, what, they do
0: hundreds of miles yeah. up into the bay. It is, it is impressive. I mean, it, it, it's crazy what, I mean, you think about salmon too and the runs that they mm-hmm. make and they
2: die for it, but. Go no. all the way up into like Idaho and stuff. It's like how how do they find their way back all the way to that one particular area? Right. So from from
0: the freaking coast of California or Washington. They're way in there. It's crazy. <laughs> they're it's creatures like, that have it. They go back to uh It's like the sea turtle. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if go it would right be harder go. to be the sea turtle and come to the same spot on the beach or harder <laughs> to be the salmon and make it all the way to Idaho. <laughs> So
1: well, they got to find, they got to find the right Creek to go up and, and the right river. That's what's amazing about Chesapeake Bay is, um, for them to get to me in the middle bay, they pass a ton of huge rivers yeah. and bodies of water that they could easily just go hang out in and, and stage and spawning and they could spawn in those rivers. And to be honest, yeah. a lot of them are probably down South. are probably better for them to spawn in, but, uh, but they do. They make it all the way up to us and all the way up into D.C. It's crazy.
2: Now, do you think you get a lot more of those bigger fish coming up your direction because you've got the Potomac and some of those deeper rivers or cleaner water or anything? You said some of the ones down south you feel like would be better. Is there a reasoning for that?
1: I those There's a lot less um, buildings and uh, infrastructure down south well. is a lot less infrastructure yeah down south is a lot less uh, touched in that perspective but um i mean these fish have been coming all the way up here forever right and and they're just going to continue to do it so i don't know why the fish that come up and bypass those areas do but but they're here
2: I was it, say, i'm assuming it's kind of like salmon because i mean they go back To the same spot they were born, you know, they know those chemical markers or whatever it may be. So I'm assuming that would be the reason. I just didn't know if you thought like water, you know, quality or something, like you said, was better or something down south.
0: I wonder how much of it's like just imprinting, just mental patterns, because think about our redfish in the winter, ending up in the exact same little pockets in the marsh where it might not be a pocket that there's never fish in the summer, you know, and then all of a sudden there's, there's three to 500 fish sitting there in the winter. Yep. And it's, it's, it might not be every winter, but it, there's spots that continually work and hold fish. And I, I feel like there's a lot of this, like the sea turtle, you know, within fish where there's just this mental pattern that they've got that is imprinted. I mean, you think a lot of animals are like that. I don't know. Maybe we're thinking too much about it. Who really cares I, I, as long as they're there. <laughs> I No, I
1: agree. 100%. I think they do go back to where they were spawned and, um, and born and, how they know where to go. It's crazy.
0: It is crazy. Mind blowing. So take me through what a day of striper fishing looks like for you this time of year, for wintertime striper fishing. Like what does an average day look like if someone was to come up and fish with you? So
1: as we worked through the winter, we did um, several changes in patterns and that changes the way I have to target them. Um, Early in December, and early January, the name of the game is just burning gas, running miles, and looking for big gannet shows. You're looking for big waves of these migratory fish coming in, and uh, we'll find some huge birds working big piles of bait and, and really nice fish under them. So, it's kind of like shooting for a home run in uh, December and early January, and now we are in mid-January. And- getting into uh, late january a lot of these fish are kind of slowed down um they're holding on ledges and we're really having to go out and grind for them and get them fired up so i'm going to places that i know where they typically hold and where currents are are ripping over ledges and um we're gonna go out and we're gonna grind on them we're gonna be jigging uh, metals um what the flutter butter? The flutter <laughs> butter. The flutter butter. <laughs> uh we 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 recently started using uh flutter spoons and and those huge flutter spoons, I don't know what it is, Dan, but they, they get these fish fired up.
0: It just and it's gotta look like a mint hayden that just got smacked and missed, just fall into the bottom. Fall into the bottom. I think that's that's what it is. And um, they're they're huge spoons. They're not like for people that haven't ever they, fished one, which was myself, at, before last week. <laughs> They're massive.
1: Yeah, think of it like a, a Gatorade bottle size. They're bigger, and um, and these fish just crush them. Um, so that's what we're doing. And then as we get real deep into winter, um, there's certain areas where we have to go to find them. It gets harder to, to get them because the fish are a lot more – they're just dead. They're just laying on the bottom, really not doing a whole lot. Um, so we're going to places that you would go – anywhere uh, warm water discharges power plants um places where they're going to be holding up shallow water a lot of times people will get them in the susquehanna flats which is a shallow water place that will warm up quickly in the day and that kind of just gets those fish in there where they're
0: comfortable and they can move around I've teamed up with florida fishing products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels braided line and fluorocarbon leader and i'm looking forward to giving you some real world feedback on their gear i've been enjoying their osprey ce for all my light tackle redfish and speckled trout and resolute for my beefier setups for big reds cobia tarpon and jacks i'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better which couldn't align closer with our values here at eastern current Be sure to check out their website, FloridaFishingProducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. one of the surprising things fishing with you was how light of a rod you were fishing heavy jigs with. I mean, an ounce and a half, two ounce on a medium. Um, what is your reasoning behind that? Like what's the, what do you, th- what's the benefit to that?
1: So I really like when I, when I go with, when I go with a two ounce head, I like I, two ounce, I'll bump up to a medium heavy just so I have that sensitivity. Cause once you have too much weight on a rod, then you just have a, a limp rod and you don't have much sensitivity, but my reasoning is that's really all you need to fight these fish. You know, we're doing, we're doing it on light tackle. We're, we're drifting or we're spot-locked over an area, and you don't need much more than a medium rod with a 2,500 or 3,000 series spinning reel and 10-pound braid to get these fish in. We're in open water. We're not trying to rip them out of, you know, grass flats or anything like that. So kind of just let them run, do their thing, and then bring them up to the boat. I think you're, uh, you you whooped your fish. You got a really big fish, and you whooped that thing pretty quick with with light tackle. And that's kind of why why I do it because it's fun. It really doesn't hurt the fish. I think we can fight these fish and get them in the boat faster than like say guys trolling with with big trolling gear. Yeah, because they're just
0: dragging the fish behind the boat. I would agree. Uh, sure. It seems like that could could potentially be much more harmful to this fish Dragon. Yeah. And the the
1: other thing is, the other thing is, um, I'm using light gear because light line, um, if you were running 30, 40 pound braid, that braid when you're dropping it down 60 feet out on channels, you're going to get so much road and so much bow in that line. You're going to have like no sensitivity. So if you've got say 10 pound braid, you drop it down, it's, now, it's not going to be straight down, but it's gonna. You're gonna have a lot more sensitivity on that. And, um, when you set the hook, you got a lot less line to take out
0: to really be able to get that hook set. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I mean, you could feel even on those massive spoons. It's like God it feels overpowered, but then it gets down there, and it doesn't feel that heavy. You know, it feels a little bit lighter, and you can feel the bites really, really well like that. So I was, I was, I, it was a lot of fun, and I was surprised. And and you really don't have heavy structure at least where we fished. You weren't trying to winch fish out of heavy structure or anything. You're kind of open over no. sand or mud bottom, whatever it was.
1: Yeah, that that was actually a pretty muddy area. Um, so no, we don't have anything like that we got to worry about. Um, we could let the fish run, and they can go pretty much anywhere. And then they, these big stripers, they do a run or two, and then they're pretty much turned and they're coming back to the boat. Yeah, they're going to give you some nice big head shakes, but they're not like a,
0: you know, a redfish will bite twice as hard for example than these big stripers you think that but, has to do with the fish itself or the the water tempting they're a little more lethargic when the water's 48 degrees
1: i think i think it's the fish um because even let's say compare apples to apples when um you know if i catch a 25 inch redfish in the summer and then catch a 25 inch striper the redfish is definitely going to pull the the striper around, you know, if you hook them together, For sure. So, and it's just the way that they run. A redfish is going to do several long runs. A, a big striper is going to do one big run and then kind of like, they're kind of a brute bringing them back to the boat. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just the fish because they all seem to do that.
2: Was they looking at their body shape, you know, of a striper versus a, a redfish, and just how much. You you talk about like a redfish having shoulders and how thick they are right behind their head and all that, versus not that the stripers aren't, but they're more of that streamlined, more designed for that long, long distance travel, per se, being a little bit more streamlined rather than those fat bull redfish just kind of float around all day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: Until you hook them, then they're they're angry. Exactly. Well, they've saved up all those calories, all those thousands of men (laughs) hating they've been eating, but. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. not not to downplay the fight. I mean, the the the, the fight on oh, the forty God. plus inch striper that I caught was, I mean, it was incre- It was awesome. Man. It was yeah. in, you know, how, how deep were we? Four to 30 feet of water, I think, maybe in there. 20? Yeah, yeah, less than thirty. Less than thirty. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. No, don't downplay it at all. It is fun. Oh, for no. sure. It's a blast. and it's not easy. It is not easy. We we lost a. We lost one that was probably pushing 50 inches on the boat yesterday oh, right at the boat mm-hmm. the guy the guy just he just didn't keep it tight enough and um spit the
0: hook yeah that's that so painful man for a fish like that and <sighs> after it, a long fight what's so yeah. s- sad too in fishing is the fact that I came up there last week I caught a 41 inch striper my biggest striper beforehand was 33 34. And mm-hmm. I'm immediately uncontent and want to come up there and get a 50 inch <laughs> fish. <with you. laughs> Not that it wasn't incredible, but I'm, I'm like, okay. So if, I thought 40 was like the hang your hat on the 40. And, and then y'all were talking about fifties and I'm like, okay, well now I need to come back up there and catch a 50 inch striper. So they're one of my favorite we fish, do. man. They're so pretty. People think of them as black and white, but there's so many colors, purples and green. Whoa.
2: Purples uh, and greens.
0: Um, <laughs> especially those, those ones that are ocean run. Um, coming
1: out of the ocean man they are beautiful fish they are they they got all the colors and you just know that it's so special because you know that they just literally traveled all the way down the east coast and and here they are in the chesapeake bay but like it's mind-blowing that they they make it into the chesapeake bay from all the way up there and they do it every year
0: it's like clockwork here's a question and it's you th- would you can do you think a striper? If you ask a striper, is your home the Chesapeake Bay, or is your home Maine? Like, what do you what? What's their like? Where where is their home base? I guess it would be where they're spawning, or they just I think, have. To- I would think Chesapeake Bay is home. Yeah, I think I, I they probably spend
1: more time here than anywhere. Okay, um, and and really, it's, it's such a short blast that they're here also, just a few months. But, um, you know, they spend a couple more months. Once they leave here, they spend a couple months traveling up north. And then they're not there very long before they turn right back around on missions mission to spawn in Chesapeake Bay again.
0: Yeah, it's so similar to tarpon. They're like the middle of the East Coast tarpon because the tarpon kind of go... Yep. from Florida to where y'all are is the top of the reach. What's the top of the reach of the migration for those striper that y'all have? What's the furthest that they've kind of been recorded going North
1: man, way up, way up. I've, uh, I was talking to a guy where, where was he fishing for him? Um, all the way up into Canada. Wow. That's, and, that's um, crazy. They, they get him up there. He, uh, he uses some of the same bait, there, a bait that you caught your fish on, I think. Okay. Um, Uh, I was talking to the owner of the company who makes those baits, local baits, and this guy up in Canada orders them to fish for these big, these same fish when they come up to Canada. Wow. So it's awesome, man. It it really is is an awesome journey that they make.
0: That's cool. They're, They're really, I mean, they might be the most diverse. Th- most spread out fish on the East Coast, if you think about it, because there's striper all the way down into like Florida, like Southern Florida, and mm-hmm. there's maybe not South Florida, but but down into Florida, there's rivers in Florida that have striper, and all the way up into Canada. I mean, that's I don't know of a inshore fish, if you will, air quotes inshore fish, that is in more like states is a further span north to south. Do y'all,
2: I don't uh, I'm know.
0: No, I, I, they are an incredible species. I guess, unless and there's. And spanning so much temperature, water temp difference. Like, I don't yeah. think there's a fish that
2: does that. I would say redfish might be able to challenge that with just mileage of shoreline, you know, well, going they from don't, Virginia they don't all get, the way around to Texas. But but, but yeah, as far as
0: further south, like, yeah. you don't see them once you get south of Texas into Mexico. I mean, it's it's too. It's too salty for them, I guess. I mean, you start to get into the snook down there, but yeah. Same with the keys. I mean, you'll you'll have some fish in marathon and further south, but not many. Yeah. So, that's uh that's crazy. I don't know. That that's just something I never thought about. Maybe there's a scientist out there that just studies that. The span, I'm sure
1: <laughs> there, there is. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's people that follow those. Well, re, there's a fishermen that follow those fish up and down the coast, which is. Hey, that's a bucket list for me. I'd love to catch one in every state. A, a, um, one
0: over 40 in every state.
1: Yeah. Just follow <laughs> that, that, that awesome migration up. And there's guys that do, there's actually a, a movie called running the coast. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, but I've never seen that. That's a, it's a great movie and they follow, um, they follow the stripers from the Chesapeake Bay all the way up into mass. And, and I don't, they might go into Maine. I'm not sure, but, it, it's really cool and how everybody targets them differently
0: yeah that's really cool that was uh, a unique thing about each fish is like when you talk and that's one thing i've loved about this podcast is talking to anglers and guides in different states fishing for the same fish in very different ways and, and then you kind of cross compare and learn and like oh my gosh that's so like there's a guy that i talked to down in in florida who fishes jetties in like 20 feet of water with deep diving crankbaits and like rips deep diving crankbaits and bounce them off the rocks for bull redfish, you know, like a bass <laughs> bait. And I'm like, I've never thought about that. Now granted deep diving crankbait ripping it over and over again for a few bites is, is a lot of work, but uh, yeah. a unique, unique way to catch them. I mean, you could, I guess you could turn around and troll those same baits, but then you're trolling. So. <laughs> it is,
1: it is so cool. and And that's one thing we have in the Chesapeake Bay is like, Every every week or every two weeks, the pattern changes completely, and we're targeting them differently. So, you know, you could book two trips a week or two trips a month with me, and come out with me two times a month for the entire year, and not one trip would be the same. That's cool, and and that's just how that's how the bay is. We're you know, in the spring we start getting our speckled trout, and we start targeting the the stripers in shallow water. Like not not your guys' shallow water, but less than five feet of water. Um my boat's a little too big to do what you guys do, but I sure wish I could.
2: Going back to our trip from the other day, one of the things mm-hmm. I think that was like the most interesting to me was how much you use your electronics. And I know this is something we kinda touched on that day, but kind of give us a deep dive. I know you've got three different three different screens kind of running. You got your Garmin running with your Airmar. You've got a Hummingbird running with side scan and traditional is it down scan or just normal uh, traditional sonar, but just kind of touch base and give us a little bit of idea on that.
1: Yeah, so I learned especially in well the Hummingbirds actually um, brought a shallow water electronics game into play because the side imaging is so good in shallow water um that i'm able to mark fish out to 100 to some feet in three foot of water um which is crazy because you can just tell the guys on the boat to cast over there and it's almost an immediate hookup when you're in that shallow water but um in deep water it's a huge advantage i it, it, it's sort of redundancy because. Um, I think when you all were doing it that day on the boat, you got to see, you know, you mark some fish on side imaging while you're on a drift. And you know you're drifting, say, left or right. You see fish out to the right, you know they're going to be coming under the boat because they just keep getting closer and closer on side imaging when you see that school of fish. Um, and then I've got the AirMar transducer, which works better in deep water. Um, it's a little bit narrower of a cone. Works better in deep water, in shallow water, it's only going to show me the fish that are directly under the boat. And that's why I also run the hummingbird transducer, which has a wider cone. I also run that with traditional, and then also the, um, the down scan, which gotcha. is similar to side imaging, but, but just shooting straight down. And it kind of gives me four different views of what's under my boat and beside my boat. Um, so it's say, really, just
2: it can't hide. You yeah. can't hide anymore. I was going to say, like, I noticed whenever we were drifting around and looking, like you could see fish off to the sides, you know, with your side scan. And then all of a sudden it, we were all jigging below us. And it's like, as soon as the air mar in your Garmin started to light up, it was instantaneous. Everybody was getting hooked up directly below the boat. But if they weren't right there on that screen, you know, all right, pitch twenty feet off the right or twenty feet off the left or something and get it just outside of that direct area right below the boat and you can pick up on exactly where you needed to put that bait very, very quickly.
0: That's one of the cool things yep. about that that electronics fishing is is you can really dial it in. The sucky thing about it is if you don't see fish on your downscan and side scan, it's like your your hope or your your mindset drops off real quick. You're like, all right, yeah. I got to find him again. And, and I guess if you really trust your electronics, that's true, you know. But sometimes, it, I think you were even saying your buddy that was out there fishing beside us. He's like the king of not marking anything on his on his down scan and then catching a big fish.
1: Yep. So. And it's yeah, you, you do start to lean on it a little too hard. But I do, I do trust it. You know, it's yeah. like yeah, there, there's probably fish down there and you might, I mean, we catch on a blank screen all the time, but if you're really looking for a pile of fish, you're going to see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's the way I, I fish for, for bull reds in the Chesapeake Bay in the summertime is I don't stop the boat until I see a pile of redfish. Yeah. And then when I do stop the boat, I'm using my side imaging. and I'm telling my guys, all right, you got to cast it 50 feet out to the, to the port. And, um, Or, you know, for dummies, we got
0: to do left and right. But, uh, (laughs) what's the point? We do, uh, I'm just
1: kidding. Left and right. Port and starboard is is simple. Left and right, everybody gets confused. (laughs) Right. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, I really do rely on electronics, especially in in deeper water. I use it when I'm fishing shallow water, I use it to find structure more than finding fish. Um, Mm -hmm. It finds fish in shallow water for me more away from the structure. So when I'm fishing shallow water, I'm fishing structure that I know about or fishing shoreline, and um, a lot of times the school of fish will pop out on opposite side of the boat. And those are fish, if I didn't have that, that good uh, side imaging, those are fish we would never even know about because you're always going to be casting towards the structure. Um, we don't really get to sight fish much in the Chesapeake Bay, just because,
0: well, I don't know. You guys might have me convinced, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna come up. We're, uh, we're gonna come up there and figure it out this summer, if, if it can be done or not.
1: Yeah,
0: shallow water. Stuff I, I mean,
1: we see we see fish quite often, but but when the tide's really running, which is when these stripers and and our uh, speckled trout like to eat, it's it's really hard with turbulent water. So yeah, um, for sure. We're using a lot of structure and just just casting old shoreline and stuff we know, you know, there's a lot of stump fields in Chesapeake Bay. Unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, erosion that's taken place. We've lost a lot of land and, and
0: islands out in the Bay, but those turn into great fishing structure. No, That's the truth. One of the things that I was really impressed with was your boat. I mean, a sea hunter I've always thought of as an offshore boat but when I the first thing I noticed when I hopped on there is the gunnel height I mean you could fish light tackle casting rods no problem on that boat and still have the ability to cover water well with comfort so what what brought you to that boat how did you choose that boat a
1: long time of looking for the perfect boat and um, I think I found it for, for light tackle fishing for the Chesapeake Bay at least because um, there are some some things that I have to be able to do because our fishery is so diverse. I need to be able to fish big water and Chesapeake Bay, believe it or not, it's a bay, but it really is its own ocean when it starts blowing because oh, it can blow up and get really nasty out there. Um, so I needed something capable of handling rough water. I needed something capable of going into less than two feet of water, just the shallows. Um, and, I actually fished on a sea hunter. It was a 24 bay boat down in Florida, down in the Keys, uh, with a guy down there, Captain Andrew Tipler. And we, it, it blew up on us and started storming one afternoon. And his little bay boat going across the, uh, the water in the Keys in some pretty solid shops. I was, it was unbelievable how well that thing handled the chop and um yeah i'm just searching and i found they just started making those 28 and i was talking to him about it and um i was like man if that 28 rods anywhere near as good as 24 which obviously it's bigger and heavier it, it's going to be a hell of a boat and it really is a do-it-all boat you can fish shallows. it's fast if you get a call if i get a call that's 15 miles away i'm going yeah, that boat. That boat's quick. It can handle. You know, it doesn't even matter if it's rough. We're gonna go, um, and we're gonna get there comfortable. We're gonna get there safe. And then it's also a weapon in the shallow water, man. It's it's incredible. Okay. And then comfort, comfort, like you said, the gunnels I think are uh, at like twenty inches or something, um, all the way around the boat, three sixty. So casting in front of the boat casting in the back you could pretty much land fish from the front of the boat um which is just incredible for a boat that can still handle the rough water that that boat can do
0: for
2: sure i was kind of curious and you were running what do you got two 300s on there
1: yeah two uh two yamaha 300s which are great reliable motors and push that thing it'll run about 55
2: gotcha um I was going to say, I was curious and, if you would ever think about going to, like, a big single 450 or something. But I guess your speed-wise, you would lose so much, you probably wouldn't want yeah, to.
1: Yeah, I, I think they tested tested a few, and the boat's so heavy. The boat's, you know, loaded. It's pushing 9,000 pounds with guys, and it's probably closer to 10,000 pounds. So I think the yeah. testing they did, the single um, 450 or so. It just didn't push it enough, and I've got a tower on my boat too, so all that extra weight—it
0: just—it really needs the twins.
1: Gotcha.
0: Six hundred horsepower, that thing. Yeah, it's a comfortable boat to ride around in. And I know. With, yeah. and I, at the end, I didn't even realize it, but you were like, "Which which side did you see? The Maryland side or the the uh, American <laughs> side?" we was got a wrap, and one side's the American flag, and one side's the Maryland flag, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, it turned out great, and that—I mean—a lot of our. Our
1: fishery and, and really my style of fishing, which which seems to be very successful for me, is I cover a lot of water. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when we're doing red drum trips, it's, they're a needle in a haystack out there. We're fishing really big water in the Chesapeake Bay at its widest point. So um, it's nothing to put 80, 90, 100 miles on the boat a day. So having something comfortable with, with all the storage space and coolers and everything on it is, um,
0: you yeah, know, just something I wanted to have for my clients and myself. For sure.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I, uh, I want to ask this question before we wrap things up. So what are the chances if someone were to come up there and book a trip with you in the winter season for those big striper and they wanted a 40-plus-inch fish, what would you tell them? What are the chances? When should they come? That kind of thing.
1: Is, chances are pretty good that somebody on the boat gets one over 40. Um, it, because I'm doing light tackle, it's all about the angler. It really is. Um, if, if you don't – that's one thing I was very impressed with you guys is you picked up – we did two completely different tactics um, on fishing and, and you guys picked it up really quick and it, it worked out. You guys slayed fish in the afternoon, and Jud, you caught a really nice fish in the morning. Um, but typically, one guy on the boat at least will get one fish over forty if we're uh, fishing this time of year. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's... Um, and if not, if not, we've got tons of really good fish that are usually willing to bite. Um, as we get further into winter, into February and March. It's more of a hero or zero type of type of trip. We we do have. I've never had a skunk, but you know we do have some really slow days because it's just you know we're looking at twenty degree air
0: temps. Right, right. It's tough. Well, that's impressive that you've never had a skunk because I've had plenty of skunks, and I blame that a lot <laughs> on the fly fishing. It's <laughs> fly fishing well, that, and side fishing just, for redfish. Yeah, you, you know that. That's not to say
1: I haven't, haven't had to hit the skunk busters and gone in. Uh, hey, let's just go catch a fish and get this skunk off the boat and, and go back and look for a big fish. Because you are looking for a trophy fish, and they're right. a trophy fish for a reason, right? And sure. people fish their entire lives to catch these fish, not because it's a walk in a park.
0: I think but that's um, what's so cool about stripers is, is the school, even the, like the, and, and y'all's fallback stripers are still like 25, 30 inches, you know, or a little really better. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's not hard, you know, and, and then the schoolies, it's like stripers usually in a fishery in, or an estuary, you're going to find some, you're going to catch some like, and so coming up there to hunt for big fish, isn't just like, you know, a hunt for big fish in a lot of other scenarios. It's like, you're going to catch fish. You're also going to hopefully catch a big one. So. It's not like yeah. it's a big risk as a angler that wants to book a trip and travel no. a little bit. I mean, it's a it's a really if you want a big striper, it the wintertime up there is is the is the way to do it in that Middle Bay, Middle Chesapeake Bay.
1: It's it's incredible. It's an incredible fishery. I'm I'm happy to have grown up here and, and uh, figured it out and you know, if you if you do the tech techniques and and really focus on I think we talked to you when you're fishing, when you have lines in the water, you're focused. And for sure. when we're fishing for these big fish, they have such big mouths, they can slurp up a lure a and spit it right back out. You won't even notice. So you really have to be tuned in, have uh have good gear, which is what I have on
0: the boat. Sensitive really be waiting for just the slightest touch. Yeah, definitely. Well, Steve, tell people how they can get up with you. Tell them about your website and if they want to book a trip or or just reach out to you, the best way to do that.
1: Yeah, so um, first off, give me a follow on uh, Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I post almost daily uh, reports on Instagram, so you can follow me that way. That is uh, at griffins underscore guide underscore service and uh, also on Facebook. And my website is... Griffinsguideservice.com. So, uh, I was yeah, thrown off. Check
0: first, me out. Yeah, definitely check him out. I was thrown off at first. I thought your name was Griffin for so long when we first started talking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, that's exactly my last name. It's your last name. But it's uh, you're like me. I, well, I don't know if you're like me exactly, but I've got three first names my, Judson, Andrew, Brock. And so it can be a little <laughs> confusing. People call me Brock or Andrew. But, man, thank you so much for hopping. I don't know why I'm rambling about my name, but thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. And, and guys, I'll link all of his information in the show notes below. Um, But we'll see you all in next week's episode. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their Hole Cleaner That Doesn't Harm Your Trailer and their BioBait Cooler Cleaner. Their BioBait Cleaner is specifically designed for live wells, fish boxes, and coolers. I love that I can quickly clean my live well with the BioBait Cleaner and then load it back up with live baits without worrying about them dying from harmful chemicals. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.